0: This morning, I want to look into Psalm 85 as we continue in our study in the book of Psalms. And this morning, I want to talk to uh, you about revival. The psalmist here in Psalm 85 is more than likely picturing a snapshot of Israel's spiritual decline many years after they had returned to the promised land following their captivity in Babylon. As typically happens with them, uh, they regress to a place of spiritual apathy. Perhaps the time, at the time of this psalm, they had become like the generation that is described in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, that says, "...who did not know the Lord." or the work that he had done. Who had not known the Lord, or the work that he had done. Psalm 85 begins with, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Selah. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. For He will speak peace to His people, to His saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Lord, will you not revive us again? Will you not revive us again? Judges reminds us of the people who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done. Perhaps we too resemble that generation in some form or fashion. Are we a people who have not known the Lord? Are we a people who have forgotten the work that God has done? Have we forgotten what it's like to live and to worship under the favor of the Lord? To be a people and a church that is revived, that is restored with a renewed heart, that is full of gratitude for what the Lord has done for us? Do we resemble those people who did not know the Lord and did not know the work that He had done? That's a sobering thought and a sobering question for us this morning. Will you not revive us again? Let's pray. God, we ask in this moment that you would clear our hearts and our minds of all distractions, God, that we would be able to focus upon you and your word. God, that you would truly speak to us through your word today. God, that you would help us as we, as we grapple with this question of are we a generation that has not known you and not remembered your work. God, are we a people and a church that need revival? So God, speak to us today, and do your good work in us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Do we resemble those? Have we come to a place in our spiritual life where we need revival? Have we come to a place in our church life where we need revival, where we need to be restored once again? Well, as you're reading this, you might ask the question, is it possible for generations to forget what the Lord has done and to return to ungodly living? Well, if you take a a quick little trip in the Old Testament, you'll see that it doesn't even take a generation for a people to forget what the Lord has done for them. As we've been studying on Wednesday evenings through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and now into Numbers, we see the people time and time again want to return to bondage and slavery. These are the same people who saw what God had done with their own eyes. The children of Israel only needed a little opposition, and they were ready to turn back to Egypt. Despite seeing the mighty works, despite seeing the wonders of God with their own eyes, when you think about it, they literally walked through miracles and still wanted to turn back to bondage. It doesn't take a generation for us to fall away from God. Sometimes it only takes a little opposition. Sometimes it only takes a little distress. Sometimes it only takes a little bit of things not going the way we want them to go. Now, it's easy to pick on the children of Israel because we see that over and over again. In fact, the entire book of Judges has this cycle of the people calling out to God, God rescuing them, them falling away from God and needing to be rescued again. And God sends a judge each time because each time they're searching for a Savior for them. We can look to the New Testament. Sometimes it doesn't even take a few hours for us to return to our old life. Think about this. Peter was quick to deny Christ even after defending him at his arrest just hours before. You might remember that story where Jesus is in the garden and they come to arrest him. And Peter takes his sword and he cuts off the ear of Malchus. And Jesus heals Malchus and tells Peter to put away his sword and hours later maybe not even an hour later they're asking Peter are you not one of his followers and Peter is denying Christ in that moment all it takes is a little disruption to what our plan is a little distraction along the way and we're quick to leave the presence and the favor of God can we just be honest with ourselves this morning, it's really easy to leave the presence of the Lord and His favor in the process. It's really easy to turn and to walk a different way. It's really easy when opposition comes to take the easy way out. The question that's asked in the text is, will you not One of the questions, as I say, is will you not revive us again? How do we regain God's favor? That's kind of the central message of Psalm 85 is this regaining of God's favor and God's presence. And Psalm 85 really gives us a roadmap for revival. So I want to look at the psalm this morning with that in mind. What do we need to do to be revived? What do we need to do to experience revival in our own hearts, but also revival in our church among God's people. The first thing that we need to do is we need to look back. We need to look back. Notice what it said there in the first three verses. The psalmist speaks to the Lord directly, and it says, You were favorable, you restored, you forgave, you covered, you withdrew, you turned. The psalm begins by looking back at what the Lord had done for them. Verse 1 says that God was favorable to the land, that he restored the fortunes of Jacob. Verse 2 says that he forgave their iniquity and that he covered all their sin. Now you might notice at the end of verse 2 there's a little word that says selah. Sometimes it's in italics and it's there. And sometimes we just kind of skip over that. What is that little term there? What does it mean? It's really a musical pause. It's telling those who are singing this that they need to stop for just a minute, to pause for just a minute. <coughs> and in this particular context, the pause comes right after the proclamation that God had forgiven the iniquity of his people and that he had covered all their sins that should cause us to pause for just a moment. When we think about God's goodness and His faithfulness towards us and the fact that He forgave us our sin, that He forgave us our iniquity, that He covered our sin, we should pause for just a moment. It should cause us to reflect upon what God has done for us. And for us as believers, it should cause us to think about Jesus and what He did for us on the cross the fact that He was willing to give up Himself and die in our place on the cross to forgive our sin. See, the truth of the matter is the psalmist didn't know this at the time, but God truly covered our sins with the blood of His own Son. That should give us a moment to pause and just think about God's goodness towards us, His mercy and His faithfulness. Verse 3 said that He withdrew wrath that he turned from his anger. All of these actions that are mentioned here in these first three verses call us to remember God's great mercy. It causes us to remember God's favor upon his people. It causes us to lean into God's character, which never changes. Aren't you thankful for that? that the God who favored the land, the God that restored the fortunes of Jacob, the God that forgave the iniquity of the people, the God that covered their sin, the God that withdrew His wrath, that turned from His anger, is the same God that we serve today. You see, the truth is, if we're going to experience revival, we need to remember what God has done for us. We need to look back to what God has done in the past. Revival literally means to bring back to life there's some things that need to be brought back to life in us. I should mention, and I hope you hear me this morning, you can't be brought back to life if you've never been brought to life. You can't be brought back to life unless you've been brought back to life. And you are brought to life through the saving power of Jesus. You can't experience revival until you've experienced God's grace in your life, until you've experienced Him bringing you from death to life, from darkness to light. And that happened because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. That God loved you enough that He was willing to send His Son to die in your place, to take on your sin as the Scripture says, to become sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God, to die in our place, to be buried in a borrowed tomb, and to rise again on the third day. If you have not believed that, then you can't experience revival because you need to be revived, right? You need to come to life in Christ. When we think of what God has done for us, We should ask some questions of our own heart. Think about how the Lord has lavished upon you his favor. Let's think about this in the context of our church. How has God lavished his favor upon us in the past? How has God shown himself mighty in our past? How has God restored your life? How has God taken you, as one preacher used to say, from the guttermost to the uttermost, right? How has God taken you out of your sin and your shame and given you life eternal? Think about how God has restored you. Think about how much He has forgiven you. How much has He forgiven you? How much have you received His mercy? And as a church, how has He shown these blessings to us in abundance? And the question that comes to our heart and our mind when we think about these things is can we not trust Him to show His character in these ways again? Can we not trust Him again to be favorable to us? Can we not trust Him again to restore us? Can we not trust Him again to forgive us? Can we not trust Him again to withdraw His anger and His wrath from us? Yes, the answer is yes, we can because God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we trust Him, when we turn to Him in repentance, then He will revive our hearts once again. And as a church, when we turn to Him and repent where we have failed Him as a body of believers, guess what? God will forgive us and He will use us once again. When we look back, we discover Or should I say we rediscover the faithfulness of God's love and His truth and that they will always prevail even though Satan may lie and try to deceive us. God never fails. So we need to look back. If we're going to experience revival, we need to look back. But we also need to look up. We need to look up. Perhaps you can remember a time when you were prospering in God's blessings. When He was the priority of your life. When you felt joy in going to church and you felt joy in diligently feeding on His Word. But all of that's just kind of a memory. And the vitality of your faith has been lost. And the prayers have become nothing more than empty rituals. When you get that point, look up. You need to look up. When our hearts are in need of revival, we need to look back and remember God's goodness and His mercy, but we also need to look up. We need to be willing to cry out in faith to God Will you not revive us again? Verse 4 reminds us here that the psalmist is calling on the God of our salvation to restore us. Part of this restoring is a call for God to put away His indignation towards us, His anger towards us. We need to realize that when we're away from the presence of the Lord, when we're not living under His favor, we are outside His will and outside His blessing. I remember when Isaac was born, I bought a book and it was called Shepherding Your Child's Heart. I thought this would be good for Cindy and I to look through this book and understand how to, to parent him in the best way possible. And part of this shepherding his heart was this idea of the circle of blessing and the other circle. And the whole gist of it was That if you do good, if you obey your parents, if you do what you're told to do and all those things, you will be in the circle of blessing and things will be good for you. But if you disobey, then guess what? You're not in the circle of blessing anymore. And the idea behind the heart was to, or the book, was to shepherd your child's heart into understanding that's kind of how it works with God. That when we're faithful to him, then we usually experience his blessing in our life. So it was trying to to construct this in a child's heart. And it worked. Well, okay. But not really. It's hard when you have a strong-willed child to stay in the circle of blessing. Which reminds me, God calls his people a stiff-necked people. We're all a little bit strong-willed, aren't we? We all want to do our own thing. And when we're away from the presence of the Lord, when we're not under His favor, we are outside the circle of blessing. For the psalmist, he, he felt like God was indignant to him, that God was angry with him, so he questions God while all of this is happening. In verses 5 and 6, There's these three will questions. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again? God, why aren't you doing the things that I know you can do? He's crying out to God and asking God these very difficult questions. He's expressing what is going on in his heart. He feels like the Lord is angry with him. He feels like the Lord is angry with the generations. He feels like he needs to be revived. Verse 7 goes on to say, Then he he calls on God to show us your steadfast love. Whenever you see steadfast love, that's really speaking about God's covenant love for His people the promise that God made to His people, that they would be His people. So the psalmist is calling upon God's covenant, upon His faithfulness, upon His steadfast love to grant them salvation. In verse 8, he turns his attention to what he must do. The psalmist must hear what the Lord God will speak, and they must turn back from folly. Here he expresses the longing to hear the Lord speak and to receive a new encounter of God's peace as the people turn from their folly to fear the Lord. Let me ask you a question. How often do we hear the Lord but not obey the Lord? That's the real struggle, isn't it? We know what the Lord is saying. We read in His Word what we need to be doing as God's people, but yet we have this problem with obedience. We need to remember, as one person said, God's anger is never aroused without cause. God does not show His anger towards us because He can. God shows His anger towards us because we have failed, because we have sin because we have lived a life of folly of foolishness and not followed after him verse 9 says that we need to fear the lord it says his salvation is near to those who fear him if we want to experience revival being brought back to life, then we must look to the only one who can accomplish that in our lives, and that is God. We need to call on Him to act upon His nature and upon His reputation as the God who saves, the God who loves, a God who is merciful, a God who is gracious. Any hope of returning to a relationship with God is only because of the character of of God. In Psalm 86, David sees the result of turning to God and being restored to His presence. In verses 11 and 12, there it says, "Teach me Your way, O Lord, that I may walk in Your truth. Unite my heart to fear Your name. I give thanks to You, O Lord, my God, with a whole with my whole heart, and I will glorify Your name forever." Here, being restored to God's presence. It's an openness to be taught God's way. It's a desire to live by God's truth. It's a heart that is focused on fearing the Lord. And it's a commitment to praising God with His whole heart. And lastly, it's a vision for honoring God's name forever. We should say with the psalmist, Restore us. We should say with the psalmist, Show us your steadfast love. We should say with the psalmist, Let us hear you once again. We need this passionate call for revival to overwhelm our own hearts and to overwhelm our church. We need to look back. We also need to look up. And lastly, we need to look forward. We need to look forward. In verses 10 and 13, with the assurance that that God will answer this call for revival, the psalmist anticipates what God could do in response to, this, to his plea verse 10 says that love and faithfulness meet that righteousness and peace embrace verse 11 says that faithfulness springs up and that righteousness looks down from the sky verse 12 says that the Lord will give what is good that the land will yield increase and verse 13 says righteousness will lead him and make a way for him This is really a beautiful picture of what it's like to experience the favor of God in your life. Faithfulness and love. Righteousness and peace. Being led by righteousness each step of the way. It's really what it looks like to be walking with a revived heart. We need God to move powerfully, to manifest His character to, in, and through the church. We need this kind of revival in us. One preacher defined revival as ultimately crossed Himself, seen, felt, heard, living, active, moving, in and through His body on earth. That's what a revived heart is. That's what revival is For us, we need to hear this today. And I hope you hear this today. God has a great future for us. We need to look forward to what God is going to do. We need to anticipate with anxious hearts what God will do in the days ahead. We need to remember what He's done in the past. We need to call out to Him to restore us and to show us His steadfast love once again. And we can look forward to what He will do in the future if. If we return to Him. If we return to His ways and not our own ways. The question then becomes, why? Why do we need revival? You might say, Pastor, that's a pretty easy question to answer. We need revival so that we can... What would you say? We need revival because... What comes to your mind? Why do we need revival? All of us might answer in different ways, but the text tells us here that we need revival for at least two reasons. The first reason is found in verse 6. It says, Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? You see, the first reason why we need revival is so that we can rejoice in God once again. One pastor said that God sends revival so that He alone will be our joy and satisfaction. How does that happen in our life? How how can we rejoice in God once again as we have a revived heart? It requires us forsaking any idols that we might have in our life. Anything that brings us joy more than Christ is an idol. He should be our supreme joy. And when we allow anything else to become more supreme than Christ, then we need revival. We need to forsake our idols and allow Him to be the supreme joy in our life. Anything that captures our delight and satisfaction above Him is a false God. (coughs) So revival in our own hearts banishes idolatry and it captures Christ's people with an overwhelming joy in Him. Isn't that a good thought? That the purpose of revival is so that we have an overwhelming joy in Christ. The second reason for revival is found in verse 9, where it says, Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him, that glory may dwell in our land. God also grants revival so that His glory becomes more important than anything else to His people. His glory. The glory of the Lord that filled the temple. God desires that His glory dwell in the land. To be in God's presence is to know His glory. His glory should be manifested in us so that the life and character of Jesus is made known by our spirit-filled character and christ honoring relationships. His glory should be among us so that every gathering is powerful, that every gathering is word centered, that it's spirit led, that it's Christ exalting, that every gathering has gospel impact that leaves believers and unbelievers alike declaring, God is truly among you. Well, don't you want to see that? God's presence and His glory through us, so that people will say, man, God is truly among them. His glory through us. Because true revival sends us out in power. Declaring the gospel because we, as the early believers said in Acts, cannot help but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. Don't you want to experience that once again? Don't you want to experience God's glory in us and among us and through us? So that people could hear the good news of the gospel and be changed forever. I started thinking back about different times in my own life where it seemed like the church was in revival. And everything, as I thought about this, everything just seemed easy. Now part of that might be because I was younger and didn't know better. But it just seemed easy. Worship was easy. Singing was easy. Preaching came easy. People responding to the message seemed easy. It seemed like it was just supposed to happen each and every Sunday as we met together and God's presence filled the room that God would speak and that people would respond. People coming to faith in Christ, people becoming members of the church, the community being changed by the good work of God's people through the church. It just seemed to be easy. When you're under God's favor, things do seem to be a little bit easier. Because God is pouring out His blessings upon us. It won't be easy, don't don't misunderstand. It takes work. It takes diligence in praying, it takes diligence in proclaiming the message, it takes diligence in preparing our hearts to worship, it takes diligence in us in the community sharing the good news of the gospel through what we say and through what we do. It takes work. But don't you want to see God's glory in this place? Don't you want to see God's glory in our hearts, in our lives? Don't you want to see people's lives changed? That's the kind of revival that we have to cry out for. That's the kind of revival that we need so that we may rejoice and so that God's glory would fill our land. So let me ask you this morning, do you want to walk with a revived heart. Do you want to live each day in the presence of God? Look back. Remember what God has done for you in the past. Look up. Call on God to act according to His nature and look forward. Anticipate the future that God has for His people as we walk in His presence and His favor once again. Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice? Will you not revive us again so that your glory may fill the land? Will you not revive us again?